Good. It's good to see you all. I want you to listen very carefully this morning to what I'm saying, not what I, not what you think I'm saying. I was in, interacting with my granddaughter yesterday at tea time, who was who is two and a half, a very bright two and a half year old, and they were having tea a little bit earlier than we were having our tea, and we'd bought them um, an Easter egg thing for Christmas, uh, for Easter, and what was it? it was the um, the Gruffalo, the Gruffalo, so it looked very nice, it was a Gruffalo. So anyway, she didn't particularly want to eat a tea, but she knew that this chocolate thing was on offer, but as ever, she had to eat a tea first before the chocolate, and so Leah, my grandson, had eaten his quite quickly and we waited for her. And so I was saying to her, it's, you know, you, if you eat your dinner, you can have your chocolate. If you don't eat your dinner, you can't have your chocolate. And she was kind of, oh, I'm not going to eat my dinner. So I said, you, you won't have your chocolate then. And then I made the mistake of saying, it's up to you. Okay, it's up to you. I meant it's up to you. you if you eat your dinner, you, you know. But she read, because we say, um, she says to us, can I do this? I'll say, well, it's up to mummy. What does mummy say? It's up to daddy. What does that? I said, it's up to you. And a little, these little eyes brightened up, and you could see her thinking, well, if it's up to me, I'm going to have the chocolate, whatever. So I had to point out that, actually, I, I didn't actually mean that it was up to her. I meant that she had a choice whether she was going to have the chocolate because she ate the dinner anyway. You know what I mean? So, so make sure that you listen carefully to what I am saying. And if you come back to me and say, I don't agree with that, I'll say, oh, that wasn't what I was saying. So, oh, I've got to remember to stand over here on my jaws. Sorry. I threatened Jules I was going to run really quickly backwards and forwards so the camera wouldn't pick me up. But she reckoned she would be as fast as anything. So, there we go. Right, well, in the week, I was, I think it was Tuesday, back to work on Tuesday after the bank holiday. And I wasn't particularly into it. And I, I kind of was kind of in a giving up kind of a frame of mind. I can't even remember what I was giving up about, but I was just kind of, you know, it was kind of get, got a sense of what's this all about and, and giving up. And the fact that I can't even remember it shows you how serious it was. But um, um, in my readings, I've been reading through the Bible chronologically. I've been reading uh, some from the old and some from the new. It's on my Bible app and it tells me. And so I, I read the, it's quite nice because you've got some Old Testaments and New Testaments. I've been in Numbers, reading through Numbers. And my reading for that morning was from Numbers 32, and it just kind of spoke into what I was feeling. And as I've been preparing, I can't get away from Numbers 32. And the, I was going to say the story there. It's not a story in the sense it's made up. Um, it, it's, it's a story as in something that really happened. No, it's kind of, a, again, I've been telling Leo a couple of Bible stories um, just to try and help him to get over some fears. But I've been telling him the story about the feeding of the 5,000, but with him being the little boy with the lunch... So I was saying to him, you know, and then uh, Leo had his lunchbox and there was five loaves and two fish. But he pointed out to me that he always has cucumber <laughs> and raspberries. So we had to have the disciples picking up, you know, 20 cucumbers, 15 raspberries, much more than they had in the first place. So um, it's not a made-up story like sometimes we make them up, but it's um, true. And it's, it's at a time when the Israelites uh, are, are going to go into the land properly. If you remember the story um, going through Exodus and they left Egypt and they were going to the promised land. This was the land that was promised to them. It was their inheritance and that's the, where they were going. But they, they messed it up the first time. They, they sent out spies and 10 spies came back and gave an evil report. Uh, Caleb and Joshua came back and said, no, we can do this. But the spies said, look at the people in the land. They're massive. We can't do this. We, uh, we, we, can't, uh, we, can't, you know, we can't take this land and so they put, they discouraged the people, the people didn't go, and Moses was angry, God was angry, and there was all kinds of uh, trouble, as it were. 
Um, and basically, the whole generation that refused to go into the promised land died in the desert because God said only Joshua and Caleb from that generation would go in. So they spent 40 years wandering around the wilderness in the backside of the desert, going round and round the mountain. Um, and, and so eventually they came to a place where they could uh, go into the land, cross the Jordan, go into the land. And there was a bit of skirmishing, there was a bit of fighting that had to take place for them to get to the Jordan. So they, they took some land off various nations to get to the Jordan. But here they are looking for the Jordan. And as we pick it up in Numbers 32, I'm not going to read it all. Uh, I'm just going to mention it a little bit. I'm going to tell the story a bit, but I will read bits and bobs. This is about the, tr the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gra Gad, sorry, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And it tells us that they were a people who had lots of livestock, lots of sheep, lots of goats. Um, and the land that they just conquered, this side of the Jordan, was very suitable, was, was good for livestock and all that kind of thing. So they came to Moses, and this is what they said. Um, let's see if I can turn my iPad on. Excuse me. Yes, yeah, so this is what they said uh, they, in verse 4. It says, The land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock. And your servants have livestock. So they're going, we've got lots of livestock. This is, this is a good land for livestock. Stop. I think we'll stay here. This is good. We'll stay here. That's what they said. And they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. All of a sudden, they've got all this livestock. They've seen the land is good. They're saying, please, don't take us into our inheritance. Please, let us stay here. This is a much nicer land. This is much better for us. We want to stay here. We don't want to go into the Jordan. And, you know, they've spent 40 years. They've spent lifetimes going somewhere. And now they're saying, we don't want to go there. And we want to stay here because this looks good um, for us. And as you can imagine, uh, Moses wasn't very pleased. In fact, he was very angry with them. And he um, said to them, Shall your brothers go to war while you sit on your bottoms and do nothing? That's what he was saying. And he said, you're going to discourage the people. And he goes into the story of what happened last time. Last time, this is what happened. The spies came back and they discouraged the people. The people didn't go into land. And, and you know, there was, it was painful. It says, verse 7, why will you discourage the heart of the people from entering over to the land the Lord has given them? And Moses reminds them that the anger of God was against Israel for 40 years, made them wander in the wilderness. And so the people of Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh, well, actually, it's not the half-tribe of Manasseh to start with. It's only the Reuben and Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, join in at the end of the chapter. But it's just these two tribes at the moment. Whether they kind of had always intended to, to do this or whether they suddenly realized, hang on a minute, we'd better change, they, they came up with a compromise they said, well, let us build um, folds for our sheep. Let us build cities for our children. We'll leave them here, obviously with some people to look after them. And we will go over the Jordan, uh, fully armed for battle, and we will fight, and we will fight and help the people enter the land until they've completely taken the land, if you like. And he said, we will not return home. This is verse 17. We will not return home until each of the people of Israel has gained their position. Possession, sorry. And Moses said, okay, well, if you do that, if you, if you go and fight for the people of Israel and make sure they all come into their position, 
you can have this land this side of the Jordan. If not, you're going to have to come into the, over the Jordan with us and get your positions there. So that was a compromise. As I say, I'm not sure that's what they intended in the first place, but they realized, or oh, we better kind of uh, do something here. So that's what happened. And in Joshua 4 verse 12, it tells us specifically that the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over, armed before the people of Israel, and they stayed and fought till the job was done. That bit, last bit is mine. They stayed and fought till the job was done. In fact, like a guy at work says, the job was a good one. Once the job was a good one, they could go back this side of the Jordan and they could take their own possession. Um, and we see in uh, Joshua 22, and this is the whole chapter is talking about uh, Reuben and Dan and the half of Manasseh. Um, basically, the land, the people have got rest in the land and Joshua sends the people, the people of Gad, the people of Reuben, the people of half of Manasseh, back to their land. But interestingly, what he tells them, and he doesn't tell everybody this, they don't tell all the tribes, he says to them, be very careful to observe the commands of your Lord your God. He doesn't say that to all the people taking the position, but to them particularly, he says, be very careful that you obey the commands of the Lord. And so they go back to their own territory across the Jordan, not in the inheritance that God has given them. I found this quite interesting. And if I could just go on with the story till the, the bitter end, just to show you. Immediately, there was trouble. I, I watched Thomas Tank Engine a bit, and it says, and then there was trouble. This in this story there. And then there was trouble. There's trouble because they went back, and they started to build this big altar, um, like the altar that was at the tabernacle. And so when the rest of the Israelites heard what was going on, they were incensed. And so all the other ten tribes, or nine and a half tribes, came out to fight with these guys because they said, you've broken faith with the Lord your God. You're building an altar. So they call it a breach of faith. This is verse 16 in, in um, Joshua 22. You've turned away from following the Lord by building this altar. And they said to them, look, if this land of your position is, is not right, if it's impure, come with us. Come back over the Jordan and you can find a position with us. But, but no. But... Um, what happens is the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and half tribe say, no, it's not rebellion. It's not breaking faith with God. And they say, may God be our judge that it's not. We're not even going to offer sacrifices on this altar because that would be wrong. What it is, we were afraid. Uh-oh. We were afraid. Because we thought in the future, you will say, these guys are the wrong side of the Jordan. They're not part of us. And that you would stop us worshipping with the Lord, sorry, with the Lord our God. And so we built this altar as a witness. So we can say to you, look, this, is, this altar is a witness. We are part of you. Our children can worship. And so then the whole thing was appeased. But it's interesting, isn't it, that they were on the wrong side of the Jordan. Whatever you take the Jordan to mean, I'm not using it symbolically. I'm just saying they were on the wrong side of the Jordan. The Jordan was meant to be, if you like, a, a boundary there's the boundary, the people of Israel are behind the boundary, there's a protection there. But these guys are living the wrong side. And so what was meant to be a boundary had become a, a division. And it's interesting that they, in, in, in living, initially they were blessed and, and, and initially they did well. But eventually, they kind of, people have said, I've, I've read various stuff, I haven't read loads of stuff, but you know, they, just, they just kind of dwindle away. And, and I found a couple of, Things I've seen a couple of things where it talks about what happened to them. 
Um, it says uh, in 1 Chronicles 5, 25 to 26, um, and this is talking about the, the people of God. It talks about the whole people of chapter. It says, they broke faith with the God of their fathers and hoard, I thought I was going to say ward, but I'm glad I say hoard. They hoard, I have a real problem with that word. But anyway, doesn't matter, does it? Just in my head, really. They hoard after the gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them. So God stirred up the spirit of Paul, king of Assyria, and Tilgath Pielzer, king of Assyria, and they took them into exile. Namely, and it names who they are, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. These were the first guys to go into exile. I know the whole land went into exile eventually, but these were the first guys. It's almost like they were living among the world, they were living among the tribes, and they hoard after their gods, and they hoard after things. And then in 2 Kings 10.32, this is just after Jehu, it says, and it's probably talking about the same incident, really. In those days, the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel. Hazael defeated them from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, the Gadites, the Reubenites, and the Manassites, Gilead and Bashan. So it's almost like they chose very carnally what they wanted. God had given them an inheritance over the Jordan, but they thought, this land here looks very good, and we've got lots of sheep. This is going to work for us. It's a bit like the story of Abraham and Lot, if you remember that story. Uh, Abraham and Lot, and Olive reminded me, we're not even sure if Lot should have been with Abraham, but anyway, putting that aside, the land was, there was, they had too many sheep for the land, and they had to make a choice, and it said that Lot looked, and he saw the good land, and he thought, I'm having this land, so off he went into that land. Abraham stayed in this other land, but God, blessed, God met him there, God blessed him there, and God gave him that land. But for Lot, he... Initially, he was captured, and Abraham had to go and you know, bring him back. But eventually, he ended up living in Sodom, and he ended up being you know, rescued out of Sodom, just him and his daughters, by the skin of his teeth, as it were. It says he was a righteous man. He didn't give in to unrighteousness. But his choices, his carnal choices in taking the best land and thinking, oh, I'll have this land. This is good for me, um, meant that he was, you know, ended up in a mess. And this is the same for the, the, these people, the Reubenites, the, um, and the half-tribe of Manasseh and the Gadites. And it just struck me, and God was saying to me, and, and this is what God's been saying to me, and I'm, I'm preaching a little bit out of what God's been saying to me. I don't want you to feel got at, or I'm, I don't want to harangue people. I, I really don't want to this morning, because I know I can do that. I have a gift of encouragement, which can spill over into haranguing. So uh, if you feel harangues, you know, just kind of shout meringue or something like that. Meringue, meringue, don't harangue. Um, so I just want to talk about what I have, but it is, I do want to encourage you to take fully the, position, the possession, the inheritance that God has given you already, okay? And so I, we, I don't want us to be like these, um, these tribes that lived outside of their inheritance and ended up be, just being taken away and becoming, becoming nothing. Um, you know, the, the, I know the Israelites went into exile, but they came back and all the rest of it. So... Um, it's a story, but it strikes me that there's a tendency, there's a pull, there's a, a pressure for us to settle for less than what God has given us. 
you know, it's almost like and Mark has been preaching. I don't want to go into all of it because Mark has been preaching for weeks on the, on the inheritance that God has given us, that it is an inheritance, that nobody can take it from us, that we can live from there. But actually, what can happen to us is that we can just not live in that inheritance. We can just not live from, from what God has done for us, for us. Sorry. And so I just want to encourage you to say, let us be people that live in our inheritance, from our inheritance, uh, from all that God has done for us and, uh, and made us. And when we were... Um, yeah, so, as I said, there's a, there's a kind of... There's a, there's a press, isn't there? It almost feels like a press from, from the world, from our flesh, and from the devil to push us, push us off our inheritance. It can't actually do that. It can't actually push it. It can't actually get us off our inheritance, but it can, it can make us settle back. It's, it's still there. It can, it's a bit like um, this morning. We, we, were, we had a bit of trouble with the power. We couldn't get the power through to the desk. The power was still in the room. We just, we just couldn't connect to it. You know? And we can kind of sometimes live not in the power. We can live not in what God has given us. He's put electricity into us, but we, we haven't plugged in. You know, it's like if all of this morning when she was doing her hair, was kind of rubbing her, rubbing her, what do you call it, that straightness thing, you know, rubbing them, rubbing them. I'm trying to get this straightness hot so I can straighten my hair. Oh, well, why don't you just plug it in, dear? Ah, good point. I'll plug it in. And so the power's there. It's just we don't always plug into it, do we? Our inheritance is there. We don't always plug into it. And it, it strikes me, look, I don't know if any of you have been in the sea at all. I know in this country the sea is a bit cold. But when you go in the sea and the, and the waves are coming against you, it's very hard to stand in one position. And this is what it struck me. It's like you have to kind of put effort. If I want to stand here and the waves are coming, I'm going to be walking all over and all of a sudden look up the beach for my clothes and they're over here somewhere because we kind of been, I've been pushed around and I've, I've lost, oh dear, we need a sort of a, a market. And you have to put effort to, to really stand and you have to resist the push of the waves and all that kind of thing. And I, and I believe it's the same for us in living in our inheritance. We have to resist the push that pushes us away from, from what God has done for us. And um, I just realized that in James, it talks similarly about this. If you look at James 1, verse 5. Actually, I'm going to read from verse 2. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Sometimes it's these trials as well that can just push us and make us want to sit down and, and, and not really stand in what God has got for us. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. That's really good, isn't it? God gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, instable in all his ways. So there's a sense that if we're double-minded, it causes us to be pushed around and a bit like when I'm saying when you're trying to stand firm against the waves, the double-minded man is pushed around like the wave of the sea all over the place. And 
it seems to me that the key to some of this is in the mind. It says not to be double-minded or double-souled, but double-minded. There's something, there's a key in the, in the mind, okay? And I, I want to talk a little bit about this. And I know it's, it's stuff you've heard before, but it's so important. I'm realizing for myself recently, I've been listening to a whole series on renewing of the mind, how important it is that if we think right, then we can believe right, then we can act right. If we think wrong, we'll believe wrong, and we'll act wrong. Seems to be there's a connection there. But as I was preparing this um, during the week, there was a, there's a, actually it's quite interesting, there's a, there's a band called the Sidewalk Prophets, which I've been listening to a bit of their stuff, I don't know if you've come across them, but uh, it was my son that pointed them out to me, who's, you know, he, he, some of the words in that are fantastic, and I just thought, yeah, if, if you just listen to those words, you'd be a lot better. But there's, there's a song, and there's just a little refrain, it says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me to live, and it keeps going on. And it just really struck me that I suddenly realized, and I know in the context that has a particular meaning, but for me, it was just pointing me to the fact that I am a new creation. I am made in the image of Jesus. So if I live, you, you will see Christ. I'll, I won't use should because should's not a good word. It's, it's a kind of a, a word that makes us feel less than, doesn't it? But that, that for me to live is Christ. Therefore, if I'm living, you should see Christ in me. And that's what I want to just focus on a little bit uh, this morning. Because I think for me, that's a key area in my life. That when I really see that I'm made in the image of Christ, and when I live from that, it's much different than when I forget that or I get pushed off that and I live, uh, live differently. It's not that there's any difference. My soul, my spirit hasn't changed but how I'm living has changed. You see, when I'm saying the source of where I'm living from has changed, I've taken the plug out and I'm trying to live from something else. And so, for me, it's a key, it's a key area and a key area of battle for me recently. And I want to just, just use it. But you can apply these truths to anything that you're standing for, anything you're standing for, anything that God has spoken to you and have the word, you can apply these same truths to. But Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, who lives, sorry, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. As I've said, when we're born again, we receive a new nature. It's a new kind of nature. It's not just uh, you had an old one and now you have a new one of the same kind, but it's a, new, it's a new creation. It's basically I'm made like Christ in my spirit. I am Christ, if you like. I am made like Christ in my spirit. I have the nature of Christ in my spirit. Okay, my mind and my body haven't caught up yet perhaps, but I, I have that there. And I'm to live from that new nature by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I live from that new nature by the power of the Holy Spirit, I, sh I show forth Christ. And that's the battle, isn't it? I have to live by believing what God has said. That that is what God has said, that is the truth. I have to live from a belief in that. And living by, as I said, living by the power of the Spirit. However, the, the, the world, the flesh and the devil are going to try and make me think otherwise. They're going to try and push me um, by getting me to doubt it, to disbelieve it to not trust what God has said. 
My nature stays the same. I'm still the same, whether I believe it or not, I'm still the same. It's just how I live then that's changed. I can either be like the two and a half tribes living outside of my inheritance and just, you know, you know, struggling through, or I can live from the nature of Jesus that's in me. As I say, there's a, there's a push to see myself as less than God has made me, to deny the truth, to be conformed to the world. And our part is to stand in what God has said, to stand in what God has made me, and to live by faith. It's interesting, in some of my reading recently, I've realized that, no, I won't say that yet, I'll say it in a bit. So, it's all very well, but how? We, we, have, we have weapons, okay, because it's a battle. I want to show you that. If you look at 1 Timothy 6. And verses 11 and, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, 11 and 12. This is Paul talking to Timothy. But as for you, a man of God, flee these things, uh, which was the love of money and all these kind of things which cause problems. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And I, I was looking at um, on my iPad. I have some commentaries and stuff. I was looking at um, some comments by a guy called uh, Woost, I'm not sure, W-U-E-S-T, I'm not sure you say that, Woost or West or West or something like that. And he was making some comments which I'd like to read you. He says, firstly, the word take hold, which is epilambano. It means to seize upon, to take possession of. There's a real kind of, when it says um, t- take hold of the eternal life, there's a real sense, of, oh, just take hold of it, you know, just, just take hold of it. But it's a real, oh, take hold of it, you know, actually grasp it, take hold of it. And this is what Wu says. He says, the act of fighting the good fight is the same act as seen in the words lay hold of. When Paul exhorts Timothy to lay hold of eternal life, he does not imply that he does not possess it. So it's not that he doesn't possess it already. Timothy is saved and possessed eternal life as a gift of God. So he has that eternal life. It says, what Paul was desirous of was that Timothy experienced more of what that eternal life is in his life. Fight the good fight. Show Timothy the continuous nature of the Christian's warfare with evil. It's a fight. It's a warfare. You know, you don't just... We, we have to, like I said, we're against the time. You have to, you have to resist the push. Um, I mean, the good thing is that the enemy actually can't move us. I don't know if you realize that. The enemy has got no authority over us. He can't move us. He can't push us. He can't make us shift from our position. We have that inheritance in Christ. It's only us that can move ourselves. It's only us that can move ourselves. And what the enemy tries to do is to trick us or to deceive us or to make us think we're less than so we don't live there. But he he can't actually push us or stop us. You know what I'm saying? We have authority. We can tell him to go in the name of Jesus. We resist the... Uh, we submit to God, resist the devil, and he has to flee away. That is the truth. But he wants to try and make us think that's, that, that's not the truth. He wants to make us think that we have to be pushed. We have to be pushed around. We have to not, you know, it's going to be impossible. We can't stand 
in our inheritance because the enemy will push us or the world will push But no, we can stand. We have uh, weapons of a warfare. And it's part of this not knowing who we are that, that makes us back down. And so, you know, this, this whole teaching of Mark and Cheryl, that, uh, of teaching us who we are in Christ and what Christ has made us and the, the inheritance we have is so important because when we grasp that, we can live from it. Whereas if we don't understand it, we can't. I hope you get what I'm saying. I'm seeing a few blank faces, but, you know, you perhaps go and think about it afterwards. Uh, I have to smile. Chris Valentin says sometimes, you know, he, they're Ikea sermons. You have to kind of take them away and put them together afterwards, you know. <laughs> they're flat pack, you know. So. so you might have to think about some of these things. Um, you'll come and ask me questions, and I'll point you to someone who knows the answer. Um, 2 Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians 10, these are familiar verses, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 5, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war, and when he says flesh there, he just means in the body, it's not, you know, kind of that specific word about, you know, the wrong way of living as, as opposed to spirit. It says, we're not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. The weapons of our warfare have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your, disobedience is, when your obedience is complete. Sorry. We have weapons to destroy strongholds. And the strongholds are often in our heads, in our, in our minds, aren't they? We can perhaps destroy strongholds out there, but we need to deal with these ones in our heads first and pull down. And, and why do we need to do that? And Romans, again, familiar verses for those who have been in faith life for any length of time. Romans 12 and verse 1 and 2. And this gives us a, an answer. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of... I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that word renewal, um, it can be a bit deceptive. It means renovate. Be transformed by the renovation. I think that maybe speaks more to us because if you watch any of these programs where they're renovating buildings, there's a lot of pulling down of stuff and chopping out of stuff before any much building goes on. You know, if you're just putting a lick of paint over something, you're not renovating. You're just putting a lick of paint over something, maybe to sell it quickly. But there's, there's a real sense that we have to uh, have our minds renovated. There needs to be stuff pulled down, strongholds pulled down. We need to have stuff chucked out and, and new thoughts put in place because the battle is in our minds and it's this mind if we're thinking right then we can believe right then we can act right okay so we need to get this mind sorted out so our, the weapons of our warfare are, are, are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds so we can have some pulling down of stuff the stuff that we've got from childhood or stuff we've got from the world or whatever it is things that we believe that aren't right we can pull those things down and get the right thinking in place as we give our time to the word and that kind of thing. It's, it's getting our line, sorry, getting our thinking in line with God's word, not allowing thoughts and speculations to push, push us into the world's mold. 
you know, it's, it's interesting. We, we have some Play-Doh going on in our house. So we've got these little children. Olive, bless her, she plays. I don't really like Play-Doh. It's a bit boring. But, you know, you kind of, it is quite satisfying in the sense we've got this one thing. It's like a garlic press. You put in your Play-Doh and you push it and it, as it comes, ooh, like little strings. It's quite nice, little sausages. And, and it's quite nice to push things into, into moulds. But we're not to be pushed into a mould. We're not to be pushed into the world's mould. We're to be living from our inheritance, which is that we're like Christ, that we have the image of Christ, that when we walk, Christ walks. Yeah? It's interesting that in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, again, familiar land, it, it talks about the armour that's given so that we can stand firm. We can stand firm. Uh, let, let me read it because it says it quite a few times. Ephesians 6, verse 10, I think it is. For some of you, this is just a resume, really. It's just, it's just a reminder. I think it's good to remind you of these things. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The good thing is, and it struck me again this morning, that it's, it's not our might. We need to stand up and, and be prepared to, to live in the inheritance. But it's like putting the plug in, isn't it? I think, well, I'm going to stand up, I put the plug in, the power flows through. It's not my power, it's sent by Eaton Electricity or whoever it is. But the, the, the power is there and it does the job. It's not me trying to make the job happen. But as I, as I stand up and I plug into God's power, it's the might that works strongly through me. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. What's interesting, it says, that you may be able, sorry, just watching the speaker, that you may be able to, all these things we're fighting against, it seems quite powerful, but if we take up the full armour, we will be able to stand. It's possible. It's not something that's a, a pipe dream and something that, you know, when you've been a Christian 55 years, you might have a, a bit of a chance, but up to then you've got no chance. Right from the start, if we put on the armour, we can withstand the enemy's schemes, the lies, the things that come against us to try and make us less than, or try and make us think we're less than, than we really are. Um, and let me just finish that. It says, stand, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the redness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. What I'm trying to show you is it's a battle. It's a battle. Um, but it's a battle that we can win. And it's a battle if we, if we do win, we will live effective, fruitful lives. It's interesting. Um, I know it's a lot easier to back down. And I found this myself about a month ago. Uh, there's been a lot of colds and stuff in the house. And maybe you can tell that I have got a cold now. But um, earlier in the month, I was trying to stand against it. And I remember I was going to the gym and I got a bit of a cold and I was, I was going to the car and I just felt I should just speak against it, say, cold in the name of Jesus, go. And I didn't even feel that I had faith. 
And what are my feelings now? They don't really know anything, do they? So I spoke against it, and lo and behold, it went. And a few times that happened, and I just thought, yes. But actually, I, th- I don't know what happened, but it struck me at the time, it's much easier to give in. It's much easier, because to stand, stand against it, keep saying, cold in the name of Jesus, I resist you, I'm not having you, be gone. I, I know as we get experience, we, it be, but it's easier to give in. But why give in? You know, have a snotty nose for two weeks and all that kind of stuff. It's not the best that God has got for us. And I think too often we do just back down because it's easier. It seems, it seems good for the short term, but the short term is very short. And if we let the enemy have inroads into our lives, he will keep doing it. It's not like you'll say, okay, that's fine. I've had one inroad. That's enough for this week. He'll just keep I was watching the boxing when I was in the gym uh, yesterday, and there was boxing on the television. And, and Sorry if, you, if you, this is offensive to you, but, you know. Uh, these, these, I don't even know who they were, actually. This guy, he smacks one guy, and he kind of, he kind of he's like all groggy. And so he came immediately and hit him again. And I thought, that's a bit cheeky. Poor old guy. You can see he's, you can see he's kind of, um, you know, he's, he's lost his guard. And he smacks him again, and, and he's down, and he's out for the count. And he is unconscious, so they get the medics and stuff. in. You know? That's what the enemy's like. You know, he doesn't, if you, give, if you get it, if you take, take one of the chin for the team, that's it, he'll leave me alone for a while. No, he won't. He'll come round when you're kind of reeling and smack you as hard as he can. But we're not worried about him because we can resist him. And that's all I'm, all I'm saying is that don't let him have ground. Don't, don't give him for the short term because it's only going to lead to destruction. And it, it, it's one, I found once I'd let the cold in, it's almost, it's really hard to get it out. It's much easier to resist it, to resist it, not let it in in the first place, than to, then to try and kick it out. Um, so, one of the things that's um, interesting, again, when I was reading through Numbers, this happened a couple of days later, and I think this, this, this is helpful. If you look in Numbers uh, 33, and again, this is all about taking the land, and verse 52. Actually, no, it's not 52. Yeah, okay. Uh, this is... It says, the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab. Um, when you pass over the Jordan into the land of Cain, and when you're taking the land, then you're to drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their metal images and demolish all their high places. And you shall take possession of the land and settle in it, for I've given you the land to possess it. Okay, and then it says, uh, verse 55, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, from before you, then those of whom you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. We need to get all this rubbish out of our lives because, again, I've been thinking, it's easy to, you know, sometimes you can entertain thoughts that aren't of God, you know, and the sun's shining, and it doesn't really make any odds. And you, Those are the times to kick them out and not let them get any further because, there comes a dark hour when all of a sudden you can't do it, you know, you really are under the cosh. You know what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes you just think, oh, la di you know, and you just let thoughts like little dicky birds fly around in your head. You know what I mean? Maybe you guys don't. Maybe it's just me. I'm just a bit weird. Uh, you know, there's thoughts there, and I'm not really thinking, what are these thoughts doing in my head? They need to get out. They will come back to, to roost, if you like. And so I need to learn very quickly, as soon as something's there, to say, right, out. In the name of Jesus, I'm not having you. 
anymore, rather than entertaining stuff. And it's a bit like I was saying before, you know, the enemy, give him, a, give him an inch, he'll take a, a foot, but we're not going to give him an inch, are we? We're going to give him no land. So, excuse me. God has provided a rich land for us. He's given us the nature of Jesus. We're seated in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours. The same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is in us. That's our inheritance. The enemy wants to push us off there. But we need to stand, to stand firm. And I wasn't going to talk about this, but June kind of just encouraged me before, before the um, meeting. She said, sometimes when you come to preach, you've got a few things going on and you know, God will bring them together. So I'm, I'm bringing this other thing, which I chucked out days ago, but I'm bringing it back in off the subs bench. But it's not really off the subs bench. What also struck me is that we have one another. We have the body. It's not just us on our own. One of the problems that the, uh, the tribes of Manasseh and the Gads and all that, those guys, they separated themselves. And there's a proverb that says that he who separates himself is up to no good. I can't remember actually what it says. Something like that. Let's not be those that separate ourselves. Let's live in the inheritance for ourselves, but let's not separate ourselves from the body because that's where our help and our life comes from as well. It's, we're not meant to be one on our own. If you remember, last time I talked, about, I talked from Nehemiah and in Nehemiah, when, when the enemy came against them, uh, they blew the trumpet. And all the people around rallied to that point, And they just repelled the borders and off they went. But they all had their swords and their, and their, their shields. But they, they, they rallied to one another and repelled the enemy. And that's what the body of Christ is all around. What, one of the things that um, struck me recently, and I've shared this with some of the leaders, is that we were praying for uh, a group of people in, in the in the prayer meeting, and I was reminded of, of the thing about Joseph being a fruitful vine whose branches run over the wall. And I believe that applies to the church, that this church, Faith Life, is a fruitful vine whose branches run over the wall. It says that the fruitful vine planted by a spring, so it brings life. So if, if as part of that vine, I'm going to bear fruit wherever I am, as long as I don't... As long as I don't separate myself, as long as I don't try and do it on my own, but as part of, in, in relationship, in coming, because we're meant to be in relationship. In, in relationship, we're meant to come into the inheritance that God has got for us together, as well as individually. You know what I'm saying? So all I'm saying is, don't let me make you think it's just one person on their own, you just fighting it by yourself, but that you're part of a body and there's people around you who will support you, encourage you, pray for you, stand with you, talk the truth to you, slap you where you're wrong, encourage you where you're right. But that's what we need to do for one another. We need to be prepared to slap one another sometimes and say, what on earth are you talking about? Get yourself... That's usually what wives do to husbands, but um, not you know, physically, but proverbially, shall we say. You know, but that we, that we kind of encourage and say, that what you're saying isn't right. What you're saying isn't right. What you're saying isn't right. But this is the truth. This is the truth. Walk in it. That we, are, that we are inheritors with Jesus. That we have the life of God inside us. That we 
together as a body are going to come into all that God has got for us. That as a fruitful vine, we're going to fill this land, fill this city with the good news of Jesus. We're going to fill this city with the fruit of, of the gospel. Yeah? So my encouragement is, don't be tempted to sit on your bottom and give up. But stand up. And it's just, you just need to stand up because it's his power that will help you. It's his power that will see you through. But as we stand up and believe what God says about us, we will see great things happen. But it's so tempting, as I said, to, to sit down and be on the wrong side of the Jordan, to sit down and, and just think, well, it doesn't really matter. It, doesn't, it does matter. And let's encourage one another while it's still today to love and good works, to stand up and say, yes, we will as a company of people, we will as individuals stand up and live in the inheritance that we've received. We've heard how we received it. It was given to us. No one can take it away from us. The enemy can't touch it. The enemy can't take it from us. The blessings that we've got, they, they can't be taken. We can give them away, but we're not going to give them away. Are we? We're going to stand firm. We're going to stand against all those things that come against us by the power, by the power of, of God. Yeah? Does that make sense? Okay. I'm going to pray. I, I was trying to wind Arlen up to come and do a little bob up, but she's not into it, eh? Oh, Olive's going to do it instead. Just before we pray. I was just um, thinking about this and thinking, like, the things that we struggle against and that feel that we have to stand up against are kind of so different to what the people in the New Testament stood up against, aren't they? And they're all in our head. We live in a different generation, don't we? And so much of the stuff for us is battles that we have in our mind and about what we're thinking. But, you know, like, I was reading this and he just got, felt the Spirit said to read this bit out of Hebrews. So put yourself in the shoes. This might happen to us. But actually, we need to, to get ready by doing the battle in the areas we need to do it in now. But Paul, as Mark thinks, Paul wrote Hebrews, so I can say that on good ground, um, was talking to the Hebrews, and he tells them, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners to those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, and this is the bit that got me, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've not had anyone trying to plunder my possessions literally yet, you know? Nobody's come to try and take my house off me because of my faith. Sometimes I think, what are we, what are we on sometimes, you know? These guys really did get it, and we know, don't we, across the world, some people have this happening. But for us, often it's that, like, what, what is it that we think Satan's trying to take us off from, from us? Or what is it that we're... we're we're battling against. You know, if, if someone was threatening my house, would I think that the possession I have in Jesus was really worth that? Yes. But, you know, sometimes we think this little thing, you know, this thing I can't stand up against, it's just nothing. Do you get what I'm saying? So this is, we know, this is what Paul was encouraging people. So whatever your battle is, I'm not trying to belittle it because they are where our battles are. Whatever it is, just this is the revelation we need, that we need to have that revelation that we have a better possession and an abiding one. And it goes on to say, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. When you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. 
talks about my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in. That's quoting God. But we are not of those who shrink back but of, and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So I just kind of felt to read that, that actually we're not of those that shrink back, but we're those that are going to stand up for that better and more abiding in, her, in possession. Yeah. Good. Okay. I don't know where you're tempted to sit down and perhaps not really live in what God has got for you. And I just want you to just be open now to let him speak to you. What is it that you can stand up and, and as you stand up and believe what God has said, the power of God will come in and will change, will change. It's good that we're not on our own, but his power so could you, would you stand?